Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. I remember a time in my life when 15 grown men conspired to make me cry. Laughing at my tears, thanks. That's cool. It's fine. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, Fitz, we've seen you preach. It doesn't require that much effort to make you cry. All you have to do is start talking about your kids or the goodness of God or toast. Really anything. And you're going to get all choked up. And uh, it's a fairly safe assessment. That's good. Uh, But on this particular occasion, it took all of the efforts of 15 grown men to make me cry. It was six years ago, and those 15 men were the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, that's worthy of that. Um, See, I, I grew up in the Cleveland area, and I was raised to love sports. So what that means is my blood bleeds a different color based on the sports season. So we are fully immersed in baseball season, so my blood bleeds red and navy for my beloved Cleveland Guardians, formerly the Indians. You're my people. Thank you. Uh, We're working our way into football season, so it's going to start bleeding orange and brown. Uh, Yes, thank you. Yes. You you Bengals fans, just hush a minute, okay? Um, Except on Saturdays, of course, when it will bleed scarlet and gray, right? I knew I'd get everybody, almost everybody. There's a couple of you in here that need sanctified. Anyway, um, but on that particular day in June, my blood, blood, wine and gold for my beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what happened that year, how? How is that possible? Uh, but if you are, let me, let me flesh it out. Uh, the Cleveland Cavs became the first team in NBA history to come back from a 3-1 to deficit in the NBA Finals to win the championship and became the first of the Cleveland teams that I root for to win a championship in their respective sports. And we were watching Game 7 uh, in my living room in Memphis. Uh, my wife, Marcy, and my son, Colin, who was 10 at the time, and I were watching the game. When the final buzzer sounded, I ran out the back door of my house uh, in Memphis and screamed at the top of my lungs. And then Marcy turned to Colin and said, your father's going to cry now. (laughs) And I did. Uh, Came in the back door, collapsed on the floor in a puddle of tears. And some of you know that same sort of feeling. Some of you know that same sort of enthusiasm. Some of you experienced last last year when your beloved Cincinnati Bengals punched their ticket to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, Some of you might have experienced it in 1990 when the Reds swept the A's to win their uh, World Series. Um, Although some, (laughs) that was a long time ago, so some of you weren't even alive. I mean, I'm not taking shots because the last time my team won the World Series in 1948, and at the last check, I was definitely not alive um, at that point. But not everybody loves sports. Uh, Maybe your enthusiasm leans towards Star Wars. 
uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Baby Yoda, you get all geeked out over Star Wars, and that's awesome. Or, or maybe yours is a TV show like Ted Lasso. Be curious, not judgmental. Uh, or maybe something like This Is Us. And when a, when a new episode comes out, a new series starts, or yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, you're probably crying already right now because that's what you do with This Is Us. Anyway, um, but when a new episode comes out, a new season starts or a season ends, your, your heart is just bursting because of the emotion that you feel inside of you. Maybe, maybe for you it's your garden, when that new crop of vegetables starts peeking through the dirt, you just, you just can't contain yourself. Or maybe it's, for you, it's woodworking. Maybe it's digital technology. Maybe it's healthy living or eating. You know, we all have that thing. It's like this living thing that's inside of us, just waiting, just dying to come out. And when it does, look out. Like, we can't control it. We can't contain it. It takes us over, it results in the uncontrollable smiling, or in my case, tears, uh, verbal utterances or actions that are, that are outside our norm. Now, now, some preachers at this point would be like, if you can cheer for your football team, you should be able to cheer for Jesus on Sunday morning. Um, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm not going to do that today, okay? However, there is a role for enthusiasm in the life of a Christian, and it has a very specific way in that it plays itself out. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, my name is Fitz. I'm the family ministry pastor here at Kingsburg Church. And we're working our way through the series called Welcome Home. And so we're discovering or rediscovering some foundational principles of the Big C Church. It's a place where Jesus is our first love. It's a place where the lost are found. And it's a place where the broken find healing. And if you missed any of the previous messages, just go to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can search Ginghamsburg. We're the only one on the planet. Um, get caught up on those. But the principle we want to dive into today comes from the pen of Paul. Now, most of you know that early in his life, he was the foremost opposer of those who followed Jesus. God did a massive work in his life, so much so that uh, many of his subsequent writings became foundational to what we believe as Christians. A lot of the things that we believe come from his writings. And these writings take the form of letters, and today we're going to look at a letter that he wrote to Romans, uh, creatively titled Romans. So most of the, the other letters that he wrote, though, um, had a specific purpose to correct some form of uh, bad theology that they had started to believe or to, to, to verbally smack them upside the head and said, stop being stupid and stop acting the way that you're acting. Those are the two primary reasons why uh, Paul wrote letters. But in this one, it's a little different. Basically, Paul's just trying to get everybody on the same page. See, there were two groups of Christians at the time. There were Jewish Christians, those who had been Jews, started following Jesus. Those who were Gentile, which is a fancy way of saying non-Jew, uh, Christians. And Paul wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page about what they believed about the gospel. And so he writes this letter, N.T. Wright calls it his masterpiece, as a means of clarifying the gospel, weaving together some of the main emphases of the early Christian church and subsequently core to who we say we are as Jesus followers. And here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 12 and 13. That's kind of the hinge point, kind of the high point of the book of Romans. And here's what he writes starting in verse 9. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. 
Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand on your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. So much is there. We cannot get to all of it. Maybe if we did a whole message series just on these couple of verses. But Paul dives right in with the core defining characteristic of who we are to be as Jesus followers. Love. Like that is, that's the core defining characteristic of who we should be as Jesus followers. And Jesus laid it out as the main building block of our character when he told his disciples in John chapter 13, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you what? Love each other. When you love each other. And it's super interesting to see how Paul talks about it. He says that love should be shown without pretending. Note, he does not say love each other. He does not say be loving. He tells them what love should look like. Why is that? Well, there's an assumption there that we are actually loving. Like that's not an if preposition. There is an assumption that we are, are already loving, that we are already attempting love. When we follow Jesus, when we come to grips with what God has done for us and how God loves us, there's one reasonable response. Not multiple, one. And that is love. Loving God and loving others. That's the only appropriate response. So for Paul, it's not an if proposition in Paul's mind. It is a how. So Paul tells the readers to love without pretending. Now, we're really good at pretending to love people, aren't we? I lived in uh, Memphis for six years before moving back to Ohio, and I also spent some time with some folks from the South when I was in seminary uh, back around 2000. And I heard a phrase a lot both locations, uh, and it was used, it's used frequently by folks in the South. It goes like this, well, bless his heart. And it's so sweet. It's so nice. I'm like, ah, oh, these Southerners really are sweet. They want to bless my heart. Um, it wasn't until I'd heard it several times that somebody defined it to me because there is a second unspoken line. See, the first line is, well, bless his heart. And the second line is, he's a moron. <laughs> it's easy to pretend we love each other. And like, we're all really good at it. And we all do it. This isn't an option for Paul. This is not an option for Paul. Paul says we love without pretending because there's, there's no space in the life of a Jesus follower for putting on false pretenses when it comes to love. We are on a journey to become authentic individuals, the same on the inside as we are on the outside, the same in public as we are in private. There's no room for us pretending to love someone when we really don't. That's not love. And some of you might be thinking, sweet, that means I can be a jerk face to Betsy at work because I don't like her anyway. 
And Fitz says that I have to be authentic and be the same on the outside as I am on the inside. <laughs> Did you hear that sound? It was like a whooshing sound. That was the point flying by and you missed it. You completely missed the point. It's not an option. It's not an option. Love is the base level action of a believer. And the exhortation is that we do it without pretending, that it be genuine, that it be authentic. But that's not the only qualifier Paul puts on it. He gives another qualifier in verse 10. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Anybody have a competitive streak in here? Let me do it this way. Anybody have a spouse who has a competitive streak in here? Okay. Some of you are afraid to put it up. That's going to start something today. Um, yeah, I mean... It, there's a certain level of competitiveness in all of us because we want to be good at stuff. want to be the best at something. Every time I watch the Olympics, I think the same thing. What must it be like to be 17 years old and be better at something than anybody else in the world? I mean, that's, that is surreal. And while it might not be gymnastics or luge, how great would it be the best at something? Fixing cars, playing the guitar, balancing a spreadsheet. I'm the worst at that. Counseling, whatever it is for you, it'd be really cool if you could excel at that one thing, to be the best at it. And Paul loves a little competition. In others of his writings, he talks about different forms of competition. And he urges the readers that there's one thing that they should be better at than anyone else. Be the best at showing honor to each other. And showing honor simply means that we put others' needs and desires and wants ahead of our own. And it seems sort of counterintuitive to say, be the best at making yourself last. Be the best at putting someone in front of you, putting their needs, wants, and desires ahead of your own. Paul fleshes it out further in his letter to the Philippians. He writes, don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. And Jesus set the example for us, didn't he? He lived his entire earthly life, putting our needs ahead of his own. He knew what we needed to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And so he put his needs, wants, and desires on the back burner, and he gave everything, sacrificed everything, including his life, to give us what we needed. And since we say we follow Jesus, those are the footsteps we follow in. We live our life in a way that puts others' needs ahead of our own, so much so that nobody does it better, that nobody does it better. And what would this community look like if we lived our lives this way? What if everyone who called Gingensburg home was so concerned with honoring others that it looked like we were competing against each other to put others ahead of ourselves? Not so we could get a pat on the back, that's, that's defeating the purpose. 
but so that we're loving in a way that Jesus loves. So we're living our life with a kingdom mindset that says your needs, your wants, your desires are more important than mine. And so I am going to honor you in those needs, wants, and desires. The African theologian Tertullian wrote in the second century, he, he imagined what uh, those who didn't follow Jesus might say about Christians. Look how they love each other. And how they're ready to die for each other. I don't know that the world's saying that about us. Look at how divisive they are. Look at how judgmental they are. But we need to live our life in a way that the world is looking at us and saying, look at how they love each other. They're ready to die for each other. So much so that people can't help but sit up and just take notice at what's going on. And this love, this honor is not, is not simply a feeling. Uh, my wife and I, we just, we just passed the 20th anniversary of our first date. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, clap for that. Okay, thank you. Rephrase that clap for her because she's very patient. Um, but I had a feeling on our first date, I, I, I can't really qualify it as love, but I had a feeling on our first date that I was going to marry her. How about that? I know. Aw. Um, but if I had left that feeling at that feeling and not asked her out again, um, had not pursued her, had not asked her to marry me, had, had done nothing over 20 years to show her that I loved her, that I had that feeling for her, it would have been meaningless. That feeling would have been meaningless. That wouldn't have been love. If I say I love my kids, but don't, don't play with them, hang out with them, and go to their sporting events and feed them and give them clothes and reprimand them when they're being dumb, if I don't do those things... That feeling I say I have for them is meaningless. It is not love. And in the same way, Paul wants his readers to realize that there must be an outward expression for the genuine love and the honor that we claim to have for others. He urges them, he urges us to be enthusiastic, to have enthusiastic love. But what does that mean? Well, the noun enthusiasm comes from the Greek word enthusiasmos from enthus, meaning possessed by a god or inspired. And when we think about being possessed, it's not normally a great thing, right? I've seen enough horror movies to be a little concerned about this definition. But when someone is possessed, they simply can't control themselves. They can't control what they say. They can't control what they do. Like the word says, like there's something inside of them, a God who is controlling them, who can't help but to come out. Friends, we have that God living inside of us. When we follow Jesus, we are promised the Holy Spirit who comes and who lives inside of us. We have that God living inside of us who is bursting to come forth with expressions of love, to make the world a better place, to make the world a more just place where justice is achieved, where the lost are found, where the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, where the broken find healing. God is inside of us, 
And that God loves this world and every person in it. And that God is enthusiastically working to come out of us to love and honor people in such a way that the world goes, look at how they love. We must love enthusiastically. But again, it can't just be something that's in here. It can't be something that's just in here. Enthusiastic love must have a tangible expression. Love is not something we feel or sometimes pretend to feel. It's what we do. Love is what we do. Paul urges the Romans, don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. It's not enough to have that fire of the Holy Spirit, that zeal or passion for the things of God. That's not enough. In modern terms, it's not enough to get emotional over the right worship song or to post the right verse with a mountain background on Instagram. There's nothing wrong with those things. We all do them. But if our enthusiasm stops there, our enthusiasm falls short. Our enthusiastic love should work itself out in how we serve the Lord. N.T. Wright, again, the New Testament theologian, suggests that love is more about what people do than about how they feel. In fact, in the early church, love was often connected quite directly to helping other people out in their various needs, not least financially, rather than necessarily to have a warm feeling towards them. In other words, in the early church, there was a direct line between love and meeting the needs of someone else. It wasn't a way that love expressed itself. It wasn't one of many options. It was the way that love was expressed. And it's the same for the church today. It's not about if you like or feel an affinity towards someone else. It's about honoring others in their lives and helping to meet their needs, to serve them. Paul goes on in verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Be generous, be hospitable. Enthusiastic love must have a tangible expression. And the expression is your hands and feet. The expression is my hands and feet. We have a God living inside of us just waiting to burst forth with expressions of love. And those expressions of love happen when you and I serve someone else. When we we meet the need of a story in someone else's life, when we see that need in someone else's life, and we do something tangible to meet that need. It looks like a woman who gets up early on a Sunday morning to serve free breakfast to folks. It looks like a man who who puts on his uniform every Sunday, an orange shirt, to care for and to make sure that kids hear about Jesus. It looks like folks who exude the brightest smiles every Sunday morning to ensure that every person who walks through this door gets at least one welcoming hello. It looks like a teenager who sings and dances her heart out so that our youngest can see what it looks like to worship. It looks like that person who spends time collecting and sorting food or clothing or tutoring children or mowing a neighbor's yard 
or serving in local government or teaching with unending patience. Simply seeing the need and intentionally doing something about it. And in each one of those cases, the, the, the evidence might not be immediate. It might not be earth-shattering. You might never see the outcome of that. But in each instance, lives are changed. And when lives are changed, communities get transformed. One person who's uh, great at this, um, she, she has the love of Jesus inside of her. And it just rumbles around just can't help but come out in different forms of service is my friend Isabel Littlefield. Let's take a listen to her story. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Peter 4.10. My name is Isabel. I serve in worship and student ministry. I remember the impact adult servants had on my life when I was in student ministry. Being able to have that safe person whose advice I can trust meant the world to me. Now, I get to see the impact I have when students trust me enough to ask for advice or when they mention that I was there for them when they were going through a hard time. It's not always easy serving others. And if you don't come into it with a joyful attitude, it can be easy to get discouraged. It's important to remember that we don't always see instant results, but by being a faithful steward of God's grace, I have both seen and helped people deepen their relationship with God. I keep serving because I want to do my best to make the world a better place. God has uniquely gifted me so that I may best serve my community, and I don't want to miss what God has called me to do. Clap for her. She's right over there. Hey, Isabel, sorry for being weird. Anyway, uh, Pastor Dennis asked a few weeks ago, is Jesus your first love? <laughs> Have you come to grips with the love that God has for you? Have you really embraced that? If you have, I guarantee you, you are not the same as before you came to grips with us. You have this love of God that is inside of you that's just churning and waiting to burst forth from you. And it's evident by the impact that some of you are having in the lives of people around you. And some of you, this feeling is like new and foreign and you like got this feeling, you're like, I don't know what to do about this. And you're thinking, Fitz, I hear you say that like my love should have a tangible expression and I should be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's cool. I don't know what that means for me. Like, am I supposed to be leading a small group in student ministries or fixing cars for the car ministry? I don't want to mess up. I don't want to screw it up. And I get that. That, that. that uncertainty can be paralyzing, can it? Like, I can't make a decision to save my life. And maybe that's you. You don't want to mess up. And if that's you, I want to give you some wise words from a theologian um, and advertising executive for Nike who once said, just do it. Just do it. Just pick something that looks good to you and do it. And try it. It's not rocket science. And it might just be the perfect thing for you. When I started serving in student ministries over 25 years ago, I had no idea 
that that would be the perfect fit for me. And it was. And so I'd say go to gingsburg.org slash serve or scan the QR code in front of you. There's a place for you to sign up to serve. And you're like, I don't know which area to sign up for. That's fine. Just sign up. We'll get you plugged in somewhere. And that might be the perfect fit for you, but you might do it and be like, that ain't it. That ain't it. I had to change a diaper. Nope. That's okay. That's okay because here's the thing. The fabric of God's creation is bigger and stronger than your fears and your foibles. And it's not gonna come unraveled just because you picked a wrong area for you. So try something. And if it's not the right fit, try something else. If that ain't it, keep trying it until you find the right fit for you. The point is, is that there is a God living inside of you whose enthusiastic love is just waiting to burst forth. And that love can't be contained. It has to be let out. Our calling card as Christians is love. And the only way the world is gonna see that card is when we release our hands and feet to be used by the ones who created them. To serve, to honor, and to enthusiastically love. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.